Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, boxing fans, this is Jenna Day, and I'm welcoming you to the 267th edition of On the Ropes Boxing Radio. And I have a great show in store for you guys this week. We have the return of Hall of Fame boxing commentator Al Bernstein, who will be on a little bit later to talk about all the latest news going on in the boxing world and preview some fights coming up in 2019. But to open up this week's show, let's talk about the biggest star in boxing today, that being Canelo Alvarez. He just made his return to the ring this past weekend in the first fight of an 11-fight, $300 million deal with the DAZN streaming network, a service that is $9.99 per month, and if you did watch his fight with Rocky Fielding, you might have caught it for a free 30-day preview. And honestly, being the fact that the fight was completely one-sided and not competitive, that was probably your uh, your best bet right there because even at $9.99, I don't know if that fight was quite worth it. But the Zone does offer a lot of good boxing coverage. They offer a lot of different fights. And the fact that Canelo Alvarez is signed to them, it opens up the door for a lot of, you know, good fights to, to come out of this thing. So, you know, the fight with Rocky Fielding obviously was, was underwhelming. Uh, Fielding, you know, was a, a guy that wasn't given much of a chance in the beginning. You know, he was a WBA regular super middleweight champion, but most people didn't hold much stock in that. They looked at his only defeat, a one-round loss to a legitimate champion at the weight class, and thought that Canelo would, you know, basically run right through him. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, you know, Canelo went out there, he went for a body attack, he dropped Fielding in the first round, and ended up dropping him four times overall and stopping him in the third round when the referee decided to wave it off. So in terms of the actual fight, um, we pretty much got what we expected, but, you know, it is good to see Canelo Alvarez back out there and be dominant, and, uh, you know, as a boxing fan, I didn't quite mind it too much, and, um, you know, it, it, it is good to see the stars of sport get out there more often. You know, I think it's kind of one of the lost arts of boxing is that you don't see people fight regularly anymore. You know, you used to see guys fight five, six times a year. That's unheard of nowadays. You see a guy fight five, six times a year as a prospect trying to build his way up. Champions and, and most guys of, of acclaim, they fight twice a year, and that's pretty much it. And it's kind of a shame, so... You know, the fact that Canelo got there only three months after two fights with, with Gennady Golovkin, um, you know, that that's honestly, I say it's like a forgivable fight. You know, it's an acceptable fight. You can let him have an easy fight like this because, you know, he's entitled to it after two hard fights. And I wouldn't mind seeing something like this from other fighters, you know, in the sense that you get out there more, um, you know, you take a fight on free TV or something like that, and you just get out there and, and, and be active and, and, and keep yourself out there, keep your face out there, because whether or not it is a one-sided fight, it still it, it keeps you in people's minds, you know, in terms of the boxing world, because you get forgotten a lot. You know, when you sit on the shelf there for five, six months at a time, sometimes a year, people forget that you're out there. They're like, oh, yeah, there's a Canelo guy. You know, right now he's the biggest star that the sport has, so... 
you know, we got to keep our stars out there, keep them active. And, um, you know, him being out there in Madison Square Garden in front of a new audience there, I think it was overall good for the sport and, um, you know, good just to see him back, even though we would like to see him within far better competition than he saw this past Saturday night. Speaking of which, let's talk about what's next, what the direction is for Canelo, what fights are out there for him. Obviously, we all want to see a third fight between him and Gennady Golovkin. It's the fight that we all want to see. Obviously, there's a lot of politics that go into that. You know, you've you got Golovkin being a broadcasting free agent where he could go to ESPN, Showtime, or DAZN. If he goes to anyone that's not DAZN, makes it a bit harder to make a third fight. And being the fact that the first two fights were separated by a year, I would not be shocked to see that fight take place somewhere in the fall. So we have to look to other opponents. And I'd say the next best high-quality opponent for Canelo Alvarez is probably Daniel Jacobs. And I say Daniel Jacobs because he's the IBF champion at middleweight. He's a guy that gave Golovkin all he can handle for 12 rounds. Um, he's only got two losses in his career. He's, you know, he's an upper echelon fighter at middleweight. And, you know, I think it's a really good fight for Canelo. You know, it's a good fight competitively. You know, I think it's not going to be the easiest fight in the world for Canelo, but I think it's a good fight in terms of the type of styles that will be in there against each other and the type of fight that the fans will see. You know, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be competitive. I'll give the slight edge to Canelo. But, you know, Daniel Jacobs is, you know, a very skilled fighter. Uh, he's a guy that's got some power, too. So I wouldn't pull past him to pull an upset. So, you know, I think that would be a very good fight. That's a fight that can lead to some unification in the weight class. So, you know, that definitely wouldn't be a bad fight to take place. Another one that kind of interests me is uh, Demetrius Boo Boo Andre. You know, he's an undefeated champion. He was a former champion at 154. He's now at 160, just like Canelo was. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that's been getting a lot of attention um, recently for negative reasons, you know, due to the whole gun thing. But besides that, in terms of his boxing, he's been getting a good amount of attention in terms of his, you know, fighting ability and, and, and what he does in the ring. His last fight, you know, it went 12 rounds, but he knocked his opponent down several times in the fight, um, you know, and he showed his class, and it's it's an intriguing fight between him and Canelo. It's another competitive one that would be good for the fans. You know, it's one that probably needs to be built a little bit more because Andre's not the most well-known guy, but still, that would be a, a good quality fight, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fights for him. You know, I mean, you look at this, Billy Joe Saunders, he was the, the WBO champion before Andre. He's still undefeated. He's out there. You've got Jamal Charlo. That would be a fantastic fight between him and Canelo. Uh, this talk Jamal might move up and wait at some point. You know, you, you also got David Lemieux, who's moving up to 168. Well, you know, it turns out Canelo's a 168 champion. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different fights out there that you could throw in there with Canelo Alvarez. But right now, I, I guess the most important thing is that, you know, he got out of this fight healthy. Didn't come out with, you know, any cuts or injuries or anything like that. You know, he's ready for the next one. You know, May 5th, we'll see him back out there, and hopefully it's against, you know, a high-quality guy. Hopefully it's against a Golovkin or a Jacob. Because, you know, these are the fights that breathe life into boxing, the high-quality ones, the big ones. Fights like we saw at Rocky Fielding, you know, they're okay once in a while. You throw one in a year, throw in one little dud just to, to let, you know, fans kind of just see you back out there. But in reality, it's the big fights. And if Canelo could fight two big fights a year, it's great for the sport, it's great for zone, and it helps keep that platform growing. Because this is a growing platform, the streaming platform. You see it at ESPN+. Plus, Showtime was doing streaming. 
So, you know, DAZN, at the price point it is, you know, stepping away from those 60 70 80 $100 pay-per-views is good. Good for the sport. So I hope to see boxing continuing in this direction of giving fans more for less, um, you know, because the last thing we want to do is see boxing fans get less for more, and that's what we were getting with some of these previous pay-per-views. So hopefully it continues in the right direction going into 2019. All right, well, let's move things now to my guest for this week's show, and he's absolutely a returning one. Now making his ninth appearance to On the Ropes Boxing Radio, I'm very proud to welcome back Hall of Fame boxing commentator Al Bernstein. How's it going today, Al? Good to be with you. Well, it's definitely a pleasure to have you on, Al. And, uh, you know, we are coming down to the end of the year, and uh, boxing year has been pretty good so far, but I want to talk about the last time we saw you uh, ringside commentating on a fight, and that would be Wilder versus Fury. It's been two weeks since that fight. What were your thoughts? Well, it was a pretty extraordinary um, atmosphere, and the fight itself was turned out to be, you know, very exciting uh, with Tyson Fury boxing superbly, better than I think most people even thought he could possibly do. Um, and I mentioned during the fight that, I've only seen another two fighters who were off for that kind of layoff in which they suffered, you know, kind of personal uh, decline. Uh, like Johnny, was, one was Johnny Tapia, who was out of the ring for several years with terrible drug abuse problems, almost living on the street. And he came back and was better than he was before he left. And I could say the same thing for Tyson Fury, who, of course, suffered uh, – drug addiction issues, mental mental health problems, uh, ballooned up to 400 pounds, and he came back, and honestly, he looked better than he did before. And I covered a lot of Tyson Fury fights early in his career, announcing them on Channel 5. So he was terrific. Deontay Wilder hung in there and uh, registered those those two knockdowns, the second of which looked for all the world like it was going to end the fight. Um, So it was an extraordinary night. Uh, obviously, much debate over the draw, depending on how people saw the fight, but it was very exciting. You know, Al, the one thing that people can't stop talking about when it comes to this fight is that final knockdown in the 12th round, the way that Fury looked like he was completely unconscious. I asked Steve Farhard, your Showtime uh, colleague, about it. He thought he was completely out. When you saw that, did you think he was done? Yeah, I, in my brain, uh, I didn't say it, of course, but I... I I thought, oh, my gosh, he's, he's not getting up from this. Um, but like Lazarus rising from the dead, he did. And, I, you know, I don't, we, afterwards, we, was with Paulie Malignaggi, and we retimed the knockdown. And I know some people are saying it was a long count, but I don't think it really was. I, you know, we, from the time the referee went over to count on him, which wasn't long after he got knocked down, I mean, there's a human element involved. We put a stopwatch to it. And it was like 9.5 seconds when he got up. So, I, you know, I didn't really think he got a long count. I know some people think he did, but it didn't seem like that to us. And when we revisited it, it didn't, it didn't appear that way. Now, in terms of the decision, um, you know, there are some people that feel that Wilder won, but obviously the majority of people feel that, that Fury did. Um, in terms of that call, though, being a draw, did you think that was fair? Well, here's the way you can break it down. You know, Deontay Wilder had two 10-8 rounds, obviously, with the two knockdown rounds. So that means for him to get a draw in this fight, he had to win three more rounds by 10-9, to right? 
I thought Fury won rounds three through eight very convincingly and won round ten very convincingly. So that leaves us with rounds one, two, and 11, in my opinion, anyway, as the rounds that you could give to Wilder. I don't think he won all three of those. My feeling is that the 114-112 score for Fury was probably the right score. Now, Steve Farhood, who you chatted with, had it 115-111 for Fury, which I also don't think is impossible uh, in any respect. But um, I have a hard I, – I, I guess you can get to a draw if you give Wilder all those close rounds, and maybe somebody would think he won a round in between three and eight. I don't. But, I, you know, there's a way to get to a scorecard that says a draw. Uh, there is no way to get to 115-111 for Wilder as uh, Rokin scorehard had it. That was pretty absurd. Mm. All right, well, a lot of people want to see a rematch now. Uh, the first fight did around 325,000 pay-per-view buys. Not not too bad, but obviously with all the buzz and all the talk after, a rematch should be pretty successful. Um, if it does happen, who would you favor now based on watching them fight each other? Well, I think it is probably going to happen. I think that, as you say, you know, the fight ended up being in the black because I think they were shooting for about 250000 as their break-even point. That's what I've been told. So it was successful in that regard. They had a huge crowd in, in Los Angeles for the fight. And I'm guessing there will be a rematch. It's interesting when you try and look ahead to a different one. I actually expect Fury to be in – a little even better shape because, remember, he only had the two tune-up fights going into this fight uh, against lesser opposition. And uh, though he, you know, obviously was in great shape to be able to go 12 and survive those knockdowns, uh, I think in some ways we we can see Fury being better. And we and it, it's possible that Deontay Wilder, he claims he figured out why he was, um, you know, overthrowing his punches and, uh, rushing things, whether he, whether, and of course he was able to solve Fury twice, but you know, he made the point that I have to be, Fury has to be perfect for 12 rounds, I only have to be perfect for one second. That really didn't turn out to be true because he was perfect for two seconds when he scored those knockdowns and yet couldn't finish Tyson Fury. So, I don't know, I think the rematch is going to go off as much more, it, for this fight, Wilder was clearly the favorite. I think the rematch will go off as a pretty much 50-50 proposition. Well, Al, let's talk a little bit about the uh, boxing scene. And uh, we recently saw HBO signing off for the final time in terms of their boxing format. And Mm -hmm. obviously, it's bittersweet to some fans out there, but other people understand why they're choosing to to step out of the boxing game. You yourself, you've worked um, with HBO and a, a co-broadcast uh, for Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather. Mm-hmm. Just what were your thoughts being, you know, having been on the other side of competing network with them signing off? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's a very nostalgic thing for boxing fans. Um, I actually did do one broadcast in which I wore I, a TV KO uh, broadcast, the first Riddick Bowe Evander Holyfield fight I did for them. Um, but that was my only time working for HBO. But, uh, you know, obviously boxing fans are nostalgic because that network created, uh, produced and, and showed so many great boxing matches. Uh, and I, I completely understand the nostalgic feeling about, about them going away. Uh, you alluded to the fact that I think they were reaching a point where the, not enough 
boxing product was available to them. Um, you know, between uh, ESPN, with their, Bobby Armstrong's contract with ESPN, uh, the Al Heyman fighters were, for the most part, on, on Showtime or Fox or other places. And DAZN, uh had come into the picture. There wasn't as much product available to them uh, for the future. And so I think that that's probably a big, big part of why they made their decision. Um, I don't know if it changes the landscape in boxing because, you know, there's a premium network, which is us, and then there's a cable network, which is ESPN, plus Over the Air, which is Fox, and then two streaming services, ESPN Plus and DAZN. So every platform is kind of handled with boxing. So I don't know if it makes a dramatic um impact on the overall landscape, but clearly uh, there's a lot of nostalgia about about the, them going away from boxing. All right, well, let's move things to one of the biggest stars in boxing, and that being Camilo Alvarez. He recently just came off a win against Rocky Fielding, took him only three rounds, you know, looked, looked pretty good, but the opposition in front of him obviously was, was quite overmatched. And now that that fight is over, you know, a lot of people in boxing want to know what's next for him. You know, will he have a third fight with Golovkin? Um, you know, who will he fight now that David Lemieux seemingly is moving up to 168? I'm curious, what do you see out there for options for Canelo Alvarez? Well, you know, I think fans would like to see him uh, fight Triple G or Daniel Jacobs or uh, Bubu Andrade. Um, I mean, those would be the people they'd like to see him fight. You know, he fights twice a year, so... Uh, while I think Canelo has in recent years fought a, a pretty good lineup of people, I think if he chooses to not fight one of those people or a really top middleweight, um, there'll be a little disappointment. And so I assume he's going to go back down to middleweight after this brief excursion at 168. Now, there are 168 pounders out there for him to fight. Um, people like, uh, you know, there's just there are a number of them. So they may choose that route, but um, but we would hope, I think, that he would take on one of the top middleweights. You know, he's been talking a lot in the press about Floyd Mayweather saying that what Floyd's been doing is bad for Boston, that he'd love a rematch with Floyd. You know, you've seen Floyd's last appearance in the ring against Conor McGregor. Based on what you saw there, how do you think he would do with a, a fully mature Canelo Alvarez? Yeah, I, that's a good question. You know, uh, Alvarez had been a, uh, you know, when Alvarez fought him, he was already a veteran. Uh, now maybe he's hit his stride more, which he probably has, and maybe going up in weight helped him. And Mayweather's gotten older. So when you put those two factors together, um, and Mayweather is, although you never can say Mayweather has a problem with being off because Throughout his career, he's come back after long layoffs and been effective, but obviously he's older now. Um, so it's an interesting fight in a lot of ways. Um, Canelo fought, I think, a dreadful tactical fight in the first fight. He was the bigger man. He should have tried to impose his will on Mayweather. He didn't. He boxed and played right into Mayweather's hands. I, I would think in this, if they ever did meet again, we'd see a much more aggressive Canelo. But, I, you know, it would be an intriguing fight. I think people would find it interesting. I, it's a hard one to handicap because Mayweather already beat him decisively, but we don't know because of Mayweather's age and Canelo, in theory, maturing a little bit more and 
maybe getting to be a better fighter, uh, how much of a difference would it make? Mm. Well, speaking of intriguing fights, the next time we'll see you uh, ringside for a big event is Manny Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner. It's a fight people have talked about in the past, you know, about happening, and, and now that it is, um, it has a certain level of intrigue. What do you see of that fight? Yeah, you know, that's a, that fight is an interesting one because, you know, Pacquiao, who is now older, who looked very good in his last fight against Lucas Matisse, some of that may have been Matisse not fighting well. But nonetheless, if you think about it, Pacquiao's had only one or two bad performances in recent years. Uh, for the most part, he's been effective. Uh, Adrian Broner comes into that this fight as kind of an interesting character. You know, he his record hasn't been sterling in recent fights. Uh, he's won as much, he lost as one as he as much as he's won, but he remains a person that people want to see. Uh, and I think also uh, somebody who's always in competitive fights. He's very hard to knock out. Nobody's knocked him out. Uh, people have knocked him down only a couple times, but uh, but he's not the kind of person you can knock out. So you could look at this fight, and while Pacquiao will probably go in the favorite. Uh, you can look at it as a very competitive and intriguing fight. And uh, I think for Adrian Broner, the trick to winning this fight, if Manny Pacquiao can be the busy Manny Pacquiao that he's been in most fights, uh, and if and if he doesn't get hurt by Broner, Broner's going to have to increase his punch volume over what he's done. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. That's a good question. You know, we keep saying it, and yet fight after fight, he doesn't do it. And sometimes he squeaks by decision wins, um, some like the one against Adrian Granados that could easily have gone the other way, uh, or he loses. So for Bro- I think the, the onus here is on Broner to increase his number of punches and be more aggressive in this fight. Al, do you think the end game for Manny Pacquiao is, is if he can beat Broner is to get that rematch with, with Mayweather? Yeah, it seems that way. Um, the other interesting aspect of that is whether if Broner wins, Mayweather would fight him, uh, would come back and fight him. That would be an intriguing promotion, that's for sure. Um, not for the faint of hearts. Uh, but I, I think that's Pacquiao's end game. Uh, and whether, you know, whether that fight will resonate with fans, we'll find, we would find out. But that, I think that's what he's hoping. He's hoping for a dominant win over Broner. And that would market the Mayweather fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I just got a couple more questions before I let you off the line. Let's turn things to you yourself because most people know you as, you know, a boxing commentator, but you also have, you know, a little bit of, uh, say, a passion. You also do some singing. Can you let the fans know when they can uh, catch you again, you know, behind yeah, the mic? You, yeah, I, you know, in the old days when I was uh, doing a lot of the pay-per-views in Las Vegas in the 80s and early 90s, uh, I performed my music at, a lot of times at Caesars Palace before some of the big pay-per-view fights. And over the years, um, I, did, I appeared at Caesars and a couple uh, other places. And then I started doing a sports party show that was part music and part um, clip, uh, video clips and everything in which we, we combined the music with that. Uh, I did that at Mandalay Bay and a number of other casinos. And then the last two years, I've kind of gotten back into music again. Um, I really kind of revisited it, and uh, I've been performing a little more regularly, and uh, I'm going to be doing a show with my son, actually, who's a singer, young singer-songwriter, at the Italian-American Club here in Las Vegas, uh, where I sometimes perform. That's on December 20th. 
Um, we'll be there performing music from 6 to 10 p.m., and it's a fun atmosphere. Uh, and then I'm going to also be doing a show, um, yeah, the, the Italian American Club's Thursday, December 20th here in Vegas. And then the, the, um, I'm also going to be doing a show at, uh, co-hosting Kenny Davidson's, uh, cabaret show at, at the, um, Tuscany Hotel and Casino the night before the Pacquiao Broner fight. Um, and, uh, that's always a fun – I go over there and often sit in and sing with them, but I host it every couple times a year, and uh, I'm going to co-host that and uh, do a whole bunch of tunes um, the night before Pacquiao Broner. So folks are coming in for that fight. They should come over to the Tuscany Hotel and Casino, um, 9 o'clock or so, and we'll have some fun. I've actually listened to some of your uh, singing on, on YouTube, and you do some Frank Sinatra. I'm just curious, which is your favorite uh, Frank Sinatra song to sing? Oh, you know, I do a lot of the Great American Songbook, and some of it associated with Sinatra. Although at this show, I also do a, a lot of Nat King Cole. I do Nat King Cole tributes a lot. Um, Sinatra, I think um, uh, Young at Heart is probably my uh, my favorite of of his tunes. But uh, yeah, I like I love all music, but I tend to gravitate when I sing to the Great American Songbook, and um, I enjoy doing that. Well, Alan, closing, you know, 2018, it's almost over now, and uh, boxing fans are looking forward to the new year. But when you look back, uh, what can you say about 2018 as a boxing year? I thought 2018 was superb. I mean, I think the matches were great. The product boxing put out there was excellent. Uh, and boxing's being seen on more platforms than ever before, and that'll, that'll definitely will expand in 2019. So I think 2018 was very good for boxing. It felt a lot like 2013, which was another year where boxing really did well. Now, in 2014, boxing took a half step back. I hope that doesn't happen in, in this next year. But uh, I thought this year was, was really excellent, and um, for the most part, boxing fans had a chance to see really good fights. Excellent, excellent. Well, Al, as always, I thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to, to seeing you again uh, on the Showtime broadcast team, and um, I guess just enjoy the holidays and have a happy new year. Thank you. You too. All right. That was Al Bernstein talking about the Wilder versus Fury fight, giving his views on HBO, moving away from boxing, and also talking about Manny Pacquiao versus Adrian Broner. Um, as always, it's a great pleasure to have Al Bernstein on the show. I mean, I've had the, the great pleasure in the last couple of weeks to talk to not just him, but his Showtime colleague, Steve Farhood. And it's just very interesting to get both of their views on the Wilder versus Fury fight because they're very similar. You know, Steve Farhood scored at 115-111, and then you look at Al Bernstein, it was 114-112, you know, pretty much within a round of each other. I myself had it 114-112. So it's just good to talk to people in boxing that are, you know, that were there, that were at the fight and had their views and see how it matches up to yours and match up to other fans' views. Because the majority of people, you know, they had that fight for Tyson Fury. They felt Tyson Fury should have won. So, you know, it's definitely good to get Al's perspective on that. And also, too, you know, being the fact that he's a broadcaster, getting his views on, on HBO moving away from the sport, you know, it's very interesting because, they, you know, they were competing before. You know, they worked one dual broadcast of each other. You know, so it's always good to hear from the other side, seeing the view what happens when the competition steps away. Um, that was definitely intriguing. And, of course, too, talking to him about Pacquiao versus Broner. That's one of the fights I'm actually really looking forward to in 2018.
in uh, 19. So, you know, we'll be interested to see how that one actually plays out. But, uh, again, I have to say it was a, a great pleasure speaking to Al Bernstein and talking to him about the sport of boxing. All right, well, let's move things now to a segment of my show the fans know as Ask Jenna. That's where you guys, the boxing fans, get to ask me the questions. You can do this either by emailing me on the ropes boxing radio at gmail.com, mentioning me on Twitter, Jenna on the ropes, or posting your questions in our Facebook group, which is 10,000 members strong. So, guys, if you want to get your questions on the show, that is how you can do it. I'm going to take my first question. This one comes from Todd Williams. It says, what do you think happens in a rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury based on what you saw in the first fight? All right, well, Todd, to answer your question here, um, I watched the first fight, and I thought it was actually a very good heavyweight fight, even though it didn't have the largest amount of punches landed. If you actually look at the punch stat numbers, they're really comparable to the Klitschko versus Fury fight, which, you know, to most people's accounts was a terrible fight. But this one wasn't because it had the drama. It had the drama in the fight, especially the 12th round. Um, I, myself, I scored the fight 114-112. I thought Tyson Fury won the fight. You know, based on what I saw in the first fight, you know, obviously the power advantage definitely goes to, to Deontay Wilder. Um, that 12th round, watching, you know, Wilder just knock him, looking dead, to be honest with you. He just looked out dead. And to see Tyson Fury not only come back from that, but to win the rest of the round, it was truly amazing. It's one of the more amazing things I've seen watching the sport of boxing, to see him come back to get off the canvas like that and to not only do that, but just to win the round after that. It's really was incredible, and honestly, it was an incredible fight because of that moment. But let's talk about the rematch. When you look at both fighters, you try to gauge both their performances. Deontay Wilder, in my opinion, did not perform that well. You know, he's a guy that I believe has a good jab when he uses it. Like, against Bermaine Stiburn in the first fight, he used that jab, and he performed excellently. He did great. He won that fight over 12 rounds. It was the only time he had gone 12 rounds before the fight with Fury. Um, you know, I thought he performed really well using that jab. He stepped away from it in recent fights. He's become more of a home run hitter. And, you know, it's great when you hit a home run. He almost did it against Tyson Fury. But when you don't, you leave yourself open to losing a lot of rounds and close decisions like we just saw. Um, I think he has room for improvement, Wilder. If he uses his jab more and goes in with more of a thought of trying to box and try to win the rounds and look for those spots instead of forcing those spots for the knockout punch, he could come out possibly as the victor. But, you know, if he does the same thing, we're going to see a similar result. When you look at the other side of things with Tyson Fury, you know, Fury essentially had three years out of the ring. Um, He had two warm-up fights, but honestly they weren't, you know, much more than sparring. And this fight was his first real fight, and he performed just as well as he did against Klitschko. You know, and he wasn't in the best shape of his life. He was, you know, in the mid-250s. But for a guy that used to be 400 pounds, to get on his toes and to box like that is quite extraordinary. He's an extraordinary athlete. He's an extraordinary person, to be honest with you, to go through all the things he has and all the drug abuse and everything like that, to come back in the ring and to put on that type of performance is an amazing thing. That shows, you know, honestly the mental strength of someone to be able to overcome things like that. When it comes to a rematch, I give the edge to Tyson Fury, being the fact that I believe he's the better boxer and the better fighter. But I do see a scenario in which if Deontay Wilder is able to box a little bit more and look for those spots, that he could have a similar situation. But this time, work his way to a knockout. Not do it late, but work his way to those spots. If he sets up his punches, he might be able to catch Fury again. He knows he can drop him. The problem is, is 
he dropped him a little bit late in that fight to really capitalize on things right there. He didn't work enough damage in there to take Tyson Fury out. In a rematch, that's what he has to focus on. He has to land more than 50 punches if he wants to beat Tyson Fury in a rematch. All right, I'm going to move things now to my next question. This one comes from Sean Reynolds. It says, Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia are set to face each other on March 16th. What do you think of the risk he's taking, and do you think he can actually win? All right, well, it's interesting you bring this up, Sean, because, you know, I really admire Mikey Garcia for taking this type of risk. He's the type of fighter that will face any fighter anytime, anywhere. Um, he's a former champion at 126, 130, 135, 140, and he's going for 147. At a certain point, though, weight matters. It just does. I mean, you look at Vasil Lomachenko versus Rigondeaux. Rigondeaux went up two weight classes, and the weight mattered. Okay, it doesn't matter how great Rigondeaux used to be. The weight mattered, and that was a big reason it was such a dominant performance by Lomachenko. So when you look at this, Errol Spence is a great fighter. He's one of the few fighters I've seen that I said the first time I watched him, this guy will become a world champion. He's just got that type of talent and that type of ability. He is an excellent fighter. He beat Kell Brook um, in a way I didn't really expect. He was actually losing the fight early, and then he just knocked him out. So even on a night where he didn't perform great, he won. So he's just an upper echelon talent, and so is Mikey Garcia. So when I look at this fight, I think it truly comes down to weight. Mikey Garcia is a natural 135-pound fighter. Yeah, he won a belt at 140. He's a natural 135-pound fighter. And, you know, he's doing this fight to, to be great. But, honestly, I think the weight's going to be too much. I think it'll be close and competitive early, but Spence will take over and probably stop Garcia late, you know. But you never know. Mikey Garcia, he's, an, he's a great fighter in his, his own right. So, I mean, if he pulls it off and pulls the upset, you know, then you got a, a big debate between Crawford and Lomachenko and Garcia, who's number one. But, you know, if I would give my opinion right now, I, I have to say Errol Spence is uh, probably going to win that one. All right, let's go now to my next question. This one comes from Robert Solomon. It says, Jenna, people say that Terrence Crawford is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world over Cecil Lomachenko because he's never lost. Do you think that's fair, being the fact that Lomachenko's only loss is very controversial? All right, well... To answer this question, uh, Robert, I really got to address something that I've been kind of wanting to address for a while because I hear it all the time. I heard it when Lomachenko was at HBO. I heard it when Lomachenko fought on ESPN. I heard it on the radio. Everybody likes to excuse the loss that Lomachenko has on his record. He's a loss in a second professional fight to Orlando Salido. But everyone likes to make excuses. They say that, well, Orlando Salido, he was overweight. He, he much outweighed him in the fight. Um, he was really dirty in the fight. He, you know, he landed low blows and illegal shots. These are all the things you hear all the time. It's all these people are, are trying to excuse the loss of Lomachenko like it kind of affects his greatness that he has this loss on his record. You know, it's one of the things that I, I just don't get about today's boxing. You know, there was a time way in the past where if a fighter didn't have a loss, people, you know, said that you never fought anybody. You know, it was uncommon for you not to have a loss on your record. That's the way boxing used to be. There were some exceptions, but most people back in that era, they had a loss or two, you know, and they were still considered great and elite fighters. But for Lomachenko, people like to excuse his loss because they think it affects his greatness. Look, when you look at Lomachenko's loss, there's nothing controversial about it. He faced a veteran in his second professional fight. Now, people like to talk about the weight. Well, you know, when you look at the weight, the fact is that Toledo was two and one quarter pounds overweight. 
That's why he lost his title on the scale. It's not like he was 10 pounds overweight or 15 pounds overweight and Lomachenko was fighting him. It was two and one quarter pounds. And you know what happened? Lomachenko accepted the fight at a different weight, accepted that he was overweight. That's the terms he accepted. So you can't use that as an excuse. If you fight somebody at a certain weight and you lose, those are the terms you accepted. The weight is not an excuse. You accepted those terms. A lot of people like to point to the fact that Toledo was dirty in the ring, that he was landing low blows and illegal shots. Well, hey, newsflash, Orlando Toledo is a dirty veteran fighter. The man tested positive for a banned substance before. He's a veteran of over 50 fights. Hello, yeah, he's a dirty fighter. Those are the terms you accepted. You accepted facing Orlando Toledo. So I'm a little bit tired of people making that excuse for, for Lomachenko because, honestly, he doesn't need an excuse. He is a great fighter. He's a great fighter that decided to face a veteran in his second professional fight. And at that time, you know what? The veteran had more experience at the professional level, and that's why Orlando Suido won. So we don't need to make excuses for Lomachenko. There's nothing controversial about it. Um, But in regards to your question and the core of your question, who's number one? I have Terrence Crawford as my number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world today, not just because he's undefeated, but because he was the unified, undisputed champion of his weight class, something that Lomachenko has never done. Lomachenko's a great fighter. He's been a champion in multiple weight classes, but he's never been undisputed in his weight class. He just recently, against Pedraza, unified the belts. It's the first time he's ever done that. But you look at Crawford, he won all four belts in his weight class and became the undisputed fighter in his class and then moved up in weight. That's why Terrence Crawford's number one. And Lomachenko's right behind him, number two. And that's the way I have them ranked. All right, let's move now to my next question. This one comes from Steve Mariano. Says Manny Pacquiao is set to face off against Adrian Broner. Who do you think wins this fight and why? All right, well, Steve, you know, this fight here, Honestly, it's one I'm actually kind of looking forward to. I I'm kind of want to see this fight for a little while. It's like Manny Pacquiao against a poor man's version of Floyd Mayweather Jr. You know, um, Adrian Broner doesn't throw as much as Floyd, isn't as defensively as good as Floyd, but he fights with the role of a shoulder style, and, you know, he has those, those quick, flashy punches. So, like I said, he's like a poor man Floyd Mayweather. So, at 40 years old, can Manny Pacquiao beat Adrian Broner? Well, you know, honestly, I think he can. You know, I, I thought he looked very good in his last performance, albeit against uh, a Lucas Matisse, who was well past it. Um, but, you know, he, he did what he had to do. He knocked out Matisse, had his first knockout in almost 10 years. So, you know, Manny Pacquiao's still around. He's still relevant. And, you know, I think he has enough to beat Adrian Broner. I think he will beat Adrian Broner. It'll probably be by decision. You know, and Pacquiao will do what he always does. He'll use his high activity, his work rate, his hand speed, his jumping in and out, the angles. And, you know, I think he'll just simply outwork Broner. But there is an element of danger because Adrian Broner does have that one shot, that one shot power. He's dropped other people. He dropped, you know, Sean Poor in the final round of the fight. He dropped Taylor in the final round of a fight. So he has that kind of power that can drop a guy. So Pacquiao's still got to be careful, but I'm giving Pacquiao the edge in this one. All right, let's move things now to my final question of this week's Ask Jenna segment. And this one comes from Sean Reynolds. He says, Jenna, there's a lot of talk about the fights that can be made next year. What fights do you most want to see made, and which one do you think will be the biggest we see made in 2019? All right, well, Sean, to answer this question here, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of fights I'd like to see get made next year, uh, Wilder versus Fury, Wilder versus Joshua. 
uh, a rematch between Canelo and Golovkin. You know, these are all great fights, and I think the biggest of which we might see is if the heavyweight division consolidates and we see the winner of Wilder versus Fury face Joshua, we'll get, you know, a true heavyweight champion. But for me, you know the fight I most want to see next year? It's actually kind of an intriguing one for me. I'd like to see Manny Pacquiao take on Floyd Mayweather Jr. in a rematch, the one the world's been waiting for. Kidding. No, I don't want to see that. But I actually do want to see Manny Pacquiao in a particular fight, and it would be my fight that I most want to see next year. But it's him against Keith one-time Thurman. I've always wanted to see Pacquiao versus Thurman. It's one of those fights, for whatever reason, I just think, you know, between their styles, between the way that they fight in the ring, I honestly think it's going to be a great fight for fans. It would literally have the potential to be a war. Because one time, as much as we like one time on the show here, um, he doesn't really have that one-shot power. But he can stand in there in the pocket and throw. And Manny Pacquiao, he can get down too. So, honestly, I, I, I think it would be a very interesting fight. I think it would be a lot of punches. I think it would be a, a great uh, competitive match. And it's a fight that I think that Manny Pacquiao would win. And not only win, but actually stop Keith Thurman in. I, I've said it for a while, you know, privately of people. I said, you know, Pacquiao will stop Thurman. People don't believe me. But I'm telling you, if Pacquiao fights Thurman, we're going to see a stoppage there. Pacquiao's style will overwhelm someone like Thurman over the distance. Yeah, he went the distance with, you know, Garcia. Yeah, he went the distance with Porter. You know, Thurman's a really class fighter. But with Pacquiao, I'm telling you, that style is going to wear on Thurman. So there's one fight I want to see happen in 2019. That is the fight that I want to see. But the biggest of which I think we'll see when it's all said and done will probably be Wilder versus Joshua. All right, well, that was this week's Ask Genesis segment. I'd like to thank all the fans that submitted your questions. And, guys, you heard the top of the segment. If you want to be part of On the Rose Boxing Radio, you know how to do it. Submit your questions, and you, too, can be part of the show. All right, well, with that, let's move things now to the upcoming week's fight schedule. And, you know, there are actually a couple of interesting fights for the fans out there. Uh, we're going to go start off with what's going to be on Fox. We have Jamal Chala versus... Matt Koroboff for the WBC Interim Middleweight Championship. And we also have Jermel Charlo versus Tony Harrison for the WBC Junior Middleweight Championship. So we got both the Charlo brothers coming up. They'll be facing off against, I guess, okay opposition. Koroboff was knocked out by Andy Lee. Um, you know, honestly, he was going to face someone on the undercard. Willie Monroe had to pull out. So, you know, it's the best they can do on short notice, I think. Jamal Charles is probably going to win by knockout somewhere in the first four or five rounds. But the one that interests me a little bit more is actually Jamal Charles versus Tony Harrison. Because Tony Harrison, he's a really skilled guy. He's a really talented fighter. But he kind of has a reputation of being kind of a five, six-round fighter. Like, he's great for five or six rounds, and then his gas tank is just out. So, you know, it's like he, he fights really well, and either he gets knocked out after that point, or, you know, he just stalls to a finish and has a close decision. So I think it's going to be a really close, competitive fight, pretty much an even fight for the first four or five rounds. And then as Tony Harrison starts losing steam, I think Jermell Charles is going to, you know, kind of put it on him a little bit, wear him down, and probably stop him on the seventh, eighth round. But, you know, that's, I said, the more interesting of the two fighters on that card. But the fight I'm actually looking forward to this weekend, I think it's going to be pretty good, it's actually a rematch. And it's going to be on Showtime. It's going to be Dillian White versus Derek Chisora. First fight was an excellent fight, and I thought Derek Chisora got robbed. I thought he won that fight clearly, but they're having a rematch here, and the winner of this fight gets to face Anthony Joshua next. So 
There's a little bit of something on the line in this fight right here. You know, it's a bit of a grudge match, two British fighters going against each other. So, you know, out of all the fights this weekend, uh, I would definitely recommend you guys see White versus Chisora. But anytime you get to see boxing, you know, on television, I say check it out. So make sure you check out the Fox broadcast as well because boxing on network TV is always a good thing. All right, well, we're coming down to the end of the show here. And one thing I want to do right now is acknowledge something that's very special for our show because our show right now is celebrating its 10th year on the air. That's right, On the Rose Boxing Radio has been around for 10 years. Our very first show was on December 15, 2008. Our very first guest was Hurricane Peter McNeely. And somehow we have lasted now 267 official episodes, numerous specials, and 10 years on the air. And the reason we're still here is because of you, the boxing fans. And I mean that sincerely, because if it was not for you guys, the fans that that constantly email me, message me, ask me when the next show is, ask me about certain guests. You know, I might have lost my motivation years ago. So you guys have helped keep this show on the air. And it's not, you know, just myself. There are people that work behind the scenes, you know, over the last few years that have been instrumental to keeping this show going. So, you know, again, I just thank everybody out there that's had involvement with the show. I thank all the fans out there because, like I said, you guys, You've kept me going all this time. You're going to keep me going for another 10 years if you keep hitting me up and emailing me. So keep listening to the show, and I'll keep putting them out there for you. But, again, thank you guys for being fans of On the Rose Boxing Radio. All right, well, with that, we're going to bring things down to a close. I'd like to thank my guest, Al Bernstein, for appearing on the show. It was definitely a pleasure speaking to him. I'd like to thank our show sponsor, IBO Boxing. Guys, I said it numerous times in the show. Make sure you check out their website. Check out their rankings. They're one of the belt organizations that's doing it the right way, so make sure you check them out. And speaking of websites, make sure you check out my website, www.ontheropesboxing.com. You'll find all of our latest show podcasts, interview articles, news about the sport. You'll find it all there. So hope you guys check it out. And, guys, have a, you know, happy holidays and a happy new year, and I'll see you in 2019. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.